Welcome to the Uncomfortable Podcast. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. My name is Debbie Roach and for this episode I'll be talking about reconciliation with Chastity Davis. Chastity is a mixed heritage woman of First Nations and European descent. She is a proud member of the Clomana Nation located in Powell River just off the beautiful Sunshine Coast of BC. Chastity strives to keep her sacred First Nations culture, traditions and values incorporated into her modern day life and she has dedicated her life to facilitate the building of bridges between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation that I have with Chastity and that it's incredibly educational for you as it was for myself. As always, on this episode, there may be some strong language, so when listening, please pop on your headphones. Otherwise, enjoy. Chastity, thank you so much for joining me on the Uncomfortable Podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad it happened. It did take us a few months, but (laughs) we got there in the end. Yes, yes. I was was determined to get you too because (laughs) I actually saw you speak and, oh God, I wish I could remember how long ago. It must have been at least a year over and it was at the Professional Women's Network Mm -hmm. event. Yes. And that was kind of my first, um, I guess, my first look into reconciliation and what that meant. I'd heard that word being thrown around. I knew what was going on, but I hadn't really learned enough about it. So coming to your event was great for me. Because it kind of opened my world and educated me, which I think is needed and is clearly the work that you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became, you know, this this consultant around reconciliation. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, so I guess it goes back to my heritage. So I'm a mixed heritage woman. I'm Claw Emin or Sly Emin. Interchangeably, you can call our nation either Claw Emin or Sly Emin. Okay. Um, and we're part of the West Coast Salish peoples, and we're interconnected to the Comox, Homoko, and Clahous nations as well. Um, and <clears throat> prior to prior to contact in the creation of Canada, and the Indian agents coming into our community to um, to sort of reorganize how uh, we lived, or and still there's lots of that happening. Um, the, those four communities were connected, and um, and then we split into into the four communities. Mm-hmm. So Slyam and Klahus, Komox, Hamolko, um, and we're interconnected and interrelated. And so that's on my mother's side, um, and my grandparents' roots come from the Homoko uh, community mm-hmm. and church house, and 
My mother also went to residential school for four years in, in Seashelt. Um, so I also say in my introductions that I'm inter- an intergenerational residential school survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and on my father's side, I'm Canadian. I'm Ukrainian and English. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've been to England uh, and uh, probably around where my um, ancestors are from there. Mm-hmm. And the Ukraine's on my list. Hopefully in the next couple of years, I'll be able to get to the land and and uh and enjoy these droogies yeah for sure yeah (laughs) so I'm mixed heritage Mm -hmm. um I've that's always been a part of my life and always informed how I see the world even when I was younger Mm -hmm. um and so what I've come to to see and realize and live with I think um every day of my life is that I'm uh yeah, I'm first peoples of this land and I'm settler to this land. Mm-hmm. So I'm the colonized per- people of this land and I'm the colonizer, yeah. right? All in one person. So when you yeah. realized that, when, how, well, how young were you when you realized that and how did you feel about that? Yeah, I think I was, I knew because my dad's like, obviously white he's like six foot tall and green eyes and like good looking white guy so no I've met your dad very good looking (laughs) (laughs) so and my mother's like this beautiful like west coast salish indigenous Mm -hmm. woman who's like 411 you know what I mean like it so I I pretty well like knew at a young age I think um I didn't like fully start to understand what all of that meant Mm. until I was like in grade school and then I like my parents split and I moved with my dad off reserve and in like mainstream society Mm. and then I went to school and then you know kids would ask me questions about like are you an Indian are you native and 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 so I knew that I was um but then I had this this white father and I wasn't like you know like my mom still lived on reserve with my older sister. Mm. So it was like these two different worlds. Yeah. And so as a child, I mean, you're just like, this is your reality, right? You don't like question, you're not questioning it. Yeah. You're like, this is just the way it is. So I think as I started to get like older and into like junior high and high school, and as it became more apparent that there was like racism, um, yeah. I think that that's when I really started to go, okay, this is interesting, right? Mm. There's a divide Like a lot of the um, Indigenous students would get bullied, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I think like at that that age, I started to really understand, okay, I didn't get, I didn't understand why, but I knew there was a divide and I knew that there was like stereotypes and racist thoughts and all of that, which I think at, at a younger age, I sort of internalized that and... And so I had identity issues, mm-hmm. like, cause I didn't, I didn't understand it. Yeah. So it sort of played out and like, yeah, in just like not understanding it, just wanting to blend in. I already was like from a single parent home and yeah. like, you know, um, humble beginnings, wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, you know what, I just want to get through this and like blend in. And yeah. I loved school and you know, I was into sports and stuff. So that's when it really started to come to me. I think when I moved to Vancouver to go to college after school and I started to get educated and be in the real world and then understand like there's like a huge divide, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, and I just, it was puzzling to me. I got curious about it because yeah. I just didn't really understand where that came from. 
all of that being said, when I was like in my early 20s, when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the settlements for residential school uh, survivors came out, that's when I found out that my mother went to residential school. Mm -hmm. Now, I did see your uh, talk on the Dalai Lama Center um, conference. And I was really surprised at your story around how you found out that your mother had been at a residential school. Are you okay to share that again? Yeah, yeah. So... Like I said, I had no idea. Um, Like, I didn't even know what a residential school was, Mm. like, my whole life until my early 20s. And then I just got a phone call from my mom. And she was just like, hey, Chas, like, I'm coming to Vancouver and I'm going to court. And I'm, like, wanting to know if you could come support me. And I was like, oh, sure. Like, is everything okay? And I was a little bit alarmed. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm okay. It's like I'm going to... This, this court case about, you know, those schools that they used to put the Indian kids in. And I'm like, nope, never heard of them. Yeah. Don't know anything about them. And she's like, well, that's where I went. And so I've got to go to court for it. And I was like, sure, okay, give me the date and time mm-hmm. and all of that. So I had no idea what I was getting into. Like when I went, I was just like, okay, my mom asked. So your mom asks you to do something yeah, that sounds important. Her. Yeah, you show yeah. up, right? Yeah. So, um yeah, it so I like just took like four hours off of work that day. So I went in from like eight to ten and mm-hmm. then I went and met my mom and, and this beautiful woman from the Indian residential school survivor, Naomi, was like, Hi Chastity, it's so good you're here. Like I'm like here for you if you need support and that's my role. And I was kinda like, I'm good. Like I think it like it's my mom, like, but great, thanks. Like I was just kinda like a bit dismissive because I didn't really understand until you get I got into the room and it was at my mother's like lawyer's office and it was just like horrific the stories Mm -hmm. that she shared about like what happened to her in school, just around like sexual abuse and physical abuse and like yeah, and then she just was getting sick, and then the the um, lawyer from Canada was like, <laughs> like disrespectful and rude mm-hmm. from my perspective, mm-hmm. like implying like that she was lying, that she went there, and all this stuff. So it was like it was just an interesting, it was an interesting event, right? Yeah. And so I was like. Yeah, I think I I was definitely upset, um, and I had to go back to work. Oh God. Yeah, because yeah. I told them that I would be there, right? And yeah. that's just the type of person I am. I'm like, if I'm say I'm gonna do something, then I do yeah. it, right? Like, so I had to go back to work, and then after I learned about that, like I started connecting all the dots of like how my mother showed up in the world, mm-hmm. and like, like just how the communities or the my community, you know, and and my experience in the community. I was like, like there, I just I started like to like innately start to understand what was going on and then I got super curious and that's how I came to this field was like research learning um I started working in in the indigenous relations department at at BC Hydro Mm -hmm. and so I traveled to like over 100 indigenous communities and when you're there like people just share with you Mm -hmm. they so I heard so many residential school survivor stories like sitting with elders, getting invited to ceremonies, like listening to the impacts, seeing the impacts, Mm -hmm. like, and then living and starting to realize like where that lives within me and like all of that and, and like all of the identity issues 
and just things that like I was affected by and I was just like wow like this is a big deal and we need to figure out how to work through this as individuals as organizations as communities and like globally Mm -hmm. because it's not just like in Canada that this happened to the first peoples of the land it's like it's like all over the world in Australia. Yeah, yeah, the States. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I find it um one thing I never really realized was how recently this happened. And in your talk uh, that I referred to earlier, you had mentioned that you're the first generation not to go to a residential school. And I think you're about the same age as me mm-hmm. from from what you said and I'm late 30s. Um and I didn't realize that all of this had happened so, so recently. And I remember speaking to someone back home in the UK about reconciliation and how there was this movement. And they had said, but didn't all that happen? Like, you know, so, so long ago, like, you know, and are we not kind of over it? Like one yeah, of those yeah, quotes, yeah, those yeah. statements. And I was like, no, actually, there's still people alive who, you know, went through that that horrible trauma of being at those schools and your mother was one of them so it's still so instilled in us because mm-hmm. it's it's just still not that far away which is devastating to think that there was still a residential school what, what in nine in the early 90s yeah yeah in 1996 that was on the last residential mm-hmm. school closed in Saskatchewan Gordon's residential school mm-hmm. and so yeah and I think that You know, the first residential school did open a long time ago in 1831. Mm -hmm. um, And the height of the residential school era was probably from like the 50s to, Mm. you know, the early 80s. Um, And so, I mean, there's I don't know how much time we have to get into that history, (laughs) but it's like, you know, it was legislated um, by Canada um, for that if you were an, an Indigenous child living in an Indigenous community, so on reserve, mm-hmm. that it was mandated that you go to residential schools, yeah. right? And so... There was no yeah, choice. There was no choice. Yeah. It was like... Or the, they're an Indian day school, which yeah. is another um, similar institution to the residential school. It's just that kids went home at night mm-hmm. and didn't have to leave the community, but still similar mandate right the mandate of the residential schools was to kill the Indian and the child Mm -hmm. which is an aggressive assimilation effort by the Canadian government Um, that was so the Canadian government created the residential schools and then it was largely the Catholic churches that would Mm -hmm. operationalize them and so it was to assimilate Canadian children into or indigenous children into the Canadian society and so detrimental I think uh, for generations of that, you yeah. know, and, and so I do cultural awareness training for clients. And so I ask people to really think about that. Like, so say you're in your community, right. Mm-hmm. And you've got like a couple of children and all of a sudden, just one morning you get a knock on the door and there's an Indian agent, uh, hired by the federal government, um, with the RCMP there. And they're just like, we're taking your kids. Right. And if you didn't give over your kids, then you go to jail. Really? Yeah. So it was a criminal offense Mm -hmm. not to send your children to residential schools. So then I ask people to think about like, so what, what would that impact be on you? Mm -hmm. Right. And then just like, 
And then that evening, that the day that all the kids went to residential school and then thinking about the community, there's no kids there anymore. Yeah. Everybody, it's just adults and just like what the impact of day after day that mm-hmm. would feel like. You don't know where your kids are. You can't reach them. Yeah. Um, in some aspects, you're not, you weren't allowed to leave the reserve without a pass, without being granted um, a permission to leave the reserve. So just like not being able to reach them, yeah. there was no technology back yeah. then, right? Like a text, like, how's it going? Yeah, you know yeah, what I you mean? You can do that. You yeah. can WhatsApp them or yeah. Facebook message yeah. them. Yeah, so you just like, no idea. you did no idea. Maybe they'd come home for holidays. Maybe they wouldn't, right? And it yeah. was just like, so, and then growing up yourself, going to residential school, knowing that your children are likely due to that same fate and you have nothing, you can do nothing about it, right? So generations of that. The science that's coming out around that, around the inherited trauma Mm -hmm. and the inherited um, strength and resiliency is called epigenetics. So yeah, yeah, if you look into, if you just Google it, it's like science has proven that we inherit in our DNA, the experiences of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. So that trauma. Yeah, Yeah. the intergenerational trauma, as well um, as like just, yeah, feeling triggered or or certain situations we inherit. On the other flip side of that, we also inherit the strength and resiliency Mm -hmm. of our ancestors, which is like where I try to draw from, you know, and, and, and get curious about the trauma parts too, like what's happening for me right now. Like how, what's, what's my stuff that I need to work through? What's some of my inherited stuff and how do I, how do I navigate that? And how do I use yeah. my experience, um, you know, to share with others, t- to have some insight, to figure out how we move, move like shoulder to shoulder together in a more respectful way so that we're yeah. not repeating history. Yes. So what does it mean, like reconciliation, that word, what does that mean to you on a personal level, mm. like very personal? Because I know you mm-hmm. kind of go into this yeah. a little bit in your talks. Mm-hmm. So I think like just to qualify the word reconciliation, I think what's happened in this country is that it's become politicized. Mm. And so when like a word or a concept becomes politicized, a number of things happen, but one of the one of the things that happened that I notice is that like it's like people, it, it it's external to them, mm-hmm. right? It's like here's this whole yep. thing, like ninety four calls to action, like residential schools, like all this thing, all these things that are not you know in a positive light. So yeah. then, if we think about like just the human condition and human nature, is like, well, you know what? It doesn't really like doesn't directly impact me so it's like something the government were doing right yeah it's like something that like that needs to happen over there Mm -hmm. and so I think for reconciliation to really take hold is that the general everyday Canadians need to be interested in Mm -hmm. to need to be interested in and understand what it is and understand how they're indirectly impacted by it, yeah. right? Because it's not only Indigenous people that re- need to reconcile. It's all of Canada mm-hmm. that needs to reconcile. Like, yeah. how does that feel that, you know, the early settlers of this country did that to the first peoples, yeah. right? And so just, like, really thinking thinking about that. So for me personally, 
you know, navigating through all the different definitions and all of the politics yes. and all of the like, you know, that all of the get over it and all of the like, how could we ever get over it? So and, and having the perspective of both mm-hmm. worlds and actually living in both worlds mm-hmm. and understanding where, you know, um, both worlds are coming from and really practicing empathy yeah. and going like, okay, so what's happening here? You know, what, 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 where is like the non-Indigenous Canadians coming from and where are the Indigenous Canadians coming from and really being curious about that. And then where am I coming from? Mm-hmm. So I think reconciliation, what it means to me is um, a number of things, but how I've tried to enact it every day of my life is to be curious okay. and open and um, understanding like, you know, that I am the first peoples of this land and really being interested in what that means and so there's a lot of like things that I do in my own life to understand that to explore it to be a part of it what Mm -hmm. does it mean to be an indigenous woman in 2019 and looking looking back reaching back being with elders being in ceremony being in sacred spaces being on the land and in the communities with indigenous people and like really trying to understand the indigenous worldview through my academic studies Mm -hmm. as well, through my jobs, like where the challenges, like all of those things. So just really being like mindful, being a witness, participating in all of that, like indigenous worldview and way of being. And then also being in the mainstream world and understanding like what's the values of the, of Canada, right? What, mm-hmm. how have we built this country? What are we um, centering around? Yeah. What are we promoting? So really like digging like deep underneath the surface of like how we're showing up in Canada, how indigenous peoples are showing up um, and the incredible amount of diversity that's in indigenous communities with over 600 communities mm-hmm. in Canada and over 200 of those in British Columbia. And yeah. so, and then the Métis population and the yeah. Inuit population and urban and all this stuff. So really like, you know, digging deep into the diversity and the dynamics and, and understanding, listening, learning, yeah. constantly growing and evolving Um realizing that you know maybe I don't belong fully in the indigenous community maybe I don't belong fully in the non-indigenous community and that used to really bother me Mm. and but what I've been able to come around to and on my own reconciliation journey and on my own healing journey is that um I'm okay with that like I'm here there's a reason why I was born this way and, and I'm able to be a bridge. Exactly. I'm able to, yeah, Yeah. I'm able to be a bridge. Like I'm able to have empathy for both sides Mm -hmm. and have tolerance for both sides. And like, like really try to get curious about like, how do we actually move forward together beyond politics, beyond like the assumptions that we make about each other and the deeply ingrained stereotypes that we have about each other and really like come together as like a human race in a respectful way and it's almost like you need that bridge or that you know kind of middle ground neutral ground for Mm -hmm. those conversations to happen so it's like you're 
the key player there yeah right kind of making that happen mm-hmm. i'm curious to know um when you kind of listen to the stories of other indigenous communities um and including your own mm-hmm. like the claw i'm uh, mm-hmm. sorry i'm yeah claw, you got i'm it. i got it claw i'm in nation um are they all on kind of the same page when it comes to reconciliation mm. or do is there different perspectives what does that look like yeah that's a great question um I, I and how I talk about reconciliation um you know because I've worked in so many communities um and with so many non-indigenous mm. like organizations across all sectors so government corporate corporate um, not-for-profit, mm-hmm. Indigenous organizations, right? And now, like in yoga studios and, and different areas and avenues. And so, you know, I, I've, so I've, how I've sort of been able to, like, articulate um, where people are at is I sort of think that, like, about reconciliation, like, on a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? It's like, and it is a linear way of thinking about it. And it could be circular, but it, at the same time, I think like, okay, so here we have the spectrum and we have some people that are like on one side of the spectrum saying like, there's no way that we could ever reconcile. Mm. And I like there's, this. Yeah, yeah, there's so, there's too much that's happened that's still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other people on the other side, like, you know, yeah, I'm invested. I'm in, I'm Mm -hmm. doing this work. Like I believe in it. I know we need to move forward. We're we're like, we're not going anywhere. Indigenous people aren't going anywhere. Like we need to figure this out and like, we need to, you know, and I need to, you know, so there's like this whole spectrum of people. Mm -hmm. Right. And depending on like, whether you're directly affected by the colonial history and residential schools, because our colonial history is much larger than residential schools. If we had like a series of podcasts, yeah. I could, well, I could get into all to of that. If you ever want to create a podcast, I'd be happy to help yes, you with totally. that. Totally. I'm just thinking like if we had a series, then we could really dive deep into more of what the colonial history yeah. is. But so we're more than just like what residential schools happen. So it looks like, depending on if you're directly impacted Mm -hmm. or indirectly impacted, right? Like how deep is the impact? How, like, how far has that affected how you show up in the world, your quality of life, like all of those things? And what access have you had, awareness and access have have you had to be able to um, heal, right or to reconcile or to analyze like and and to be to have the privilege to be able to do that to Mm. not just be in survival mode to not just be in poverty to not just be like totally oppressed and and yeah so I think it's like it just depends and then there's like on the other end of the spectrum it's like you know that like what you're saying like people are like yeah I think they just need to get over it like you know that was a while ago and Mm -hmm. and all of that right so there's just all these different perspectives and um and so I think that uh yeah the spectrum thing helps me sort of like really think about that like where are we at um and where is each individual at where is each community at Mm -hmm. like and then I think my work is about like meeting people where they're at Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And then being able to understand 
Like there's like nobody's done reconciliation a hundred percent right. Yeah. Anywhere in the world, right? So it's like I think what what that the opportunity is is for commitment customization and working forward what's going to work where are people at Mm -hmm. like what what are the values that people want to be embodying and implementing so that we can move forward yeah Yeah. and I mean it sounds like something that you know when you work on yourself I know Mm -hmm. you're a yoga teacher um it's it's a continuous journey Mm -hmm. there's no end right And I wonder, and I, I would love your opinion on this, like, do you think we'll ever get to the point where that's it? Reconciliation, done. We've done it. It's good. Will that ever happen? Is yeah. that naive to think that? Mm-hmm. Or is that just like, dear God, we've still got a long, long way to go. Is it possible? What would it look like? I think it's anything's possible, but I, I, I have, I'm a optimist, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I have to be in, in this line of work. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, all sunshine, lollipops and roses, yeah. right? Like you're, you're digging into and going and entering into zones where there's been a lot of, a lot of effort to, to, um, cover those up mm-hmm. or to not go there, to be in denial that things happened. Yeah. And so when you're, you know, yourself as an individual, you know, broaching into those areas, you know, yeah, it can get messy. And when you're encouraging others to go mm-hmm. in those areas, it's like, and most times it's going to get messier before it gets better. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's encouraging like people that like, it's okay. We're going to like, it's all going to be okay. We're going to get through this and it, it's going to get messy and it might like trigger a whole bunch of stuff in you. And that's good. Mm-hmm. That's part of the journey. Yeah. Right. And I think there's like in the mainstream and in all cultures, it's like conflict for us is something that like, why would I sign up to go and do that? Yeah. Right. We're trying to avoid that all the time, yeah. you know? just from my perspective. Yeah. And oh, no, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So it's just encouraging folks yeah. to like, it's going to get messy before it gets better. And I definitely think that we will get there. I also like to ask people to think about like, you know, it, that reconciliation is a journey, not a destination. Mm-hmm. And it's just like any relationship in yeah. your life, right? Like, you know, I have a friend, she just celebrated her 25th uh, anniversary with her partner and I'm like, how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a year in and I'm like, 25 years. Oh my God. Right. I know. So it's like, it's so we're like, we're really like, she just said a lot of patience, mm-hmm. a lot of love, a lot of understanding, communication, communication. Yeah. Never go to bed angry. Yes. Like all these things. Right. And so I think about like, we're in, like as indigenous peoples, we're in relationship to mm the government to Canada, to mainstream Canadians, to the land we live on, all to all of that, right? So it's like, I always talk, like, think about your own relationships, mm. right? And like, and your tendencies within that relationship, yeah. right? Yeah. And like, where are those areas that are hard for you mm-hmm. to move through? And it's like, you don't just like, marry somebody and then that's it for the rest of your life. It's like, I'm good. We don't ever have to talk again. Yeah. Like we've given our vows. We've like, you know, we've gotten there. We've got married. Yeah. Right? Check the box. Totally. Right. Yeah. It's like constantly all of those mm-hmm. like principles of being in relationship and empathy and being yeah. in your heart and being vulnerable. 
and like you know sharing like your baggage and this triggers me and like you know how do you feel about that and is there things that I can improve on so you're always like in this dance with your partner with the person you're in relationship with yeah. right and vun- like vulnerability yeah. is hard it is it is <laughs> totally hard for right everyone oh like yeah and it just takes a lot of self-work self-care mm-hmm. self-love mm-hmm. to kind of get there and it's a continuous yes journey for the individual for sure but I definitely hope for you know the indigenous communities mm-hmm. it's something that we can resolve yeah um, what do you think that would look like? Mm-hmm. What do those communities kind of also, what do they want that to look, mm-hmm. look like? Yeah, I mean, I'm always cautious to like uh, speak on behalf of community. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only like share my own perspective and my own vision from where I sit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, and and I think that like I remember a few years ago when people, like when I first got asked like, Chastity, what's your vision for reconciliation? And I had no idea. Like, I had no idea. And then sometimes, like, some days I'm still like, I don't know, right? Like, I just know that we need to get through this and it needs to get better. And it's like, and a a feeling. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, but, you know, there's glimpses of, like, that I get, like, like, visions of. And I think it's really what it looks like to me is that, there's been a lot of colonial policies that are wrapped within the Indian Act. So if people are interested about learning about, mm-hmm. you know, that I, the Indian Act, you can just Google and pull up. Yeah. <clears throat> and it goes through all of the legislative decisions that were made to govern and control every aspect of Indigenous people's lives, from culture to education mm-hmm. to healthcare to languages, to where you could live, where you can't live, all of these decisions that were made on on behalf of um, Indigenous peoples on this land. And so when I think about, like, you know, addressing the root of of our issues, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're just looking at the symptoms and we're not, we're going to keep being on the hamster wheel. Yeah, we just keep putting the band-aids on. Yeah, so we go back to the root. Mm -hmm. We go back to looking at, like, where... Um, those colonial policies started and the impacts that those have. And so when I do that as an individual, I think like, what does reconciliation actually look like? And to me, it's about indigenous peoples being able to realize their full potential, Mm. right? Being able to be who they really are, like freely, not like being governed to told like you're not allowed to speak your language you're not allowed to practice your culture you have to live in this reserve you know and and all of the things that we've been told that we needed to 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 be and do and not do to have like all of those lifted all of that colonial like all of the colonial policies lifted and then all of the internalized racism Mm lifted yeah so that we can really fully truly step into our full potential as indigenous peoples that's what reconciliation work looks like every single indigenous person in this country are is offered that opportunity Mm -hmm. to fully step into their full potential and and to live like happy fulfilling culturally relevant like 
culturally rich yeah on their land opportunities as others yeah 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 and just yeah being able to like you know be happy to go Mm -hmm. on vacation like all of these things that we take for granted when we're we live in privilege and that includes me I know that I'm privileged right so that's what it looks like to me and since you've started doing this work what changes like positive let's start with the positive changes that you've seen um happen so far so many so many right and I think like I think we can get caught in like when if we're arm's length away to see like ah nothing's changed right Mm. but for me it's like I always think that it took us generations to get here and it will likely take us generations to get out Mm -hmm. right or to move through yeah Right. Um, and and so I know that the work that I'm doing, like I may it that may not like and others that are in this movement, because mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of people in this movement, indigenous and non-indigenous yeah. in this movement, wanting working towards change. Some high profile, some just like head down in the community, don't even know who they are, but they're doing yeah. amazing work. So, you know, I I see it like, um, you know, that. Yeah, the work that I'm doing and the work that the movement's doing, it's like that may not be fully realized until I'm like, you know, transitioned and onto another life. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay, right? Yeah. It's like the our ancestors, all of our ancestors, you know, that are working towards this movement have been blazing trails and yeah. and like, you know, I didn't have to go to residential school, right? Yeah. And and so I'm like one generation removed from that. And I see my sister's kids who are two generations mm-hmm. removed from that. And I just look at them and like wonder and going like, wow, they never have to like deal with like the things that we have. Yeah. There's, are they still feeling the impact? Certainly. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. And they're further away from it. Yeah. Right? So like the changes that I've seen are like this new, the new generations coming up, just the strength and resiliency and the pride and the wanting, like just wanting to know the culture and having the freedom to do that and having the education system um, committed to, you know, bringing in um, indigenous history into Mm -hmm. the classrooms. I mean, still a lot of work needs to happen there, but at least there's a commitment and an awareness. So what I've seen you know, in the youth and in education, lots of changes in the right direction, still a long way to go. Yeah. When it comes to government policy, um, you know, the awareness is there, the rhetoric's there, yeah. right? The political will in some parties is there and they're really wanting to embrace and like figure out how do you do that in, in a political realm, it takes a long time for yeah. things to happen. Yeah. So there's commitment and it will take longer than like a few four-year terms, right? Yeah, definitely. Right? So I see that there's like a huge change, I think, especially with like the current federal government and the current uh, provincial government mm-hmm. here in BC. Just like, let's do this different. Let's yeah. like adopt the United Nations um, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and actually make legislative decisions on that, right? Yeah. That's reconciliation, right? And then I see corporations wanting to like in, engage with indigenous communities in a different way mm-hmm. and be more respectful and 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 uh, 
provide historical and current training on indigenous peoples. Yeah. Like that wasn't like all of these movements were not there when I got into the movement over a decade ago. Yeah, right. Very very recent. Yeah, so it's like, and then just awareness and like now I'm bringing it into yoga studios and yogis want to know about it and like like how do we be a part of this and like I get asked that all the time like Chastity how do I be a part of the movement and I'm like it starts with you yeah what do you need to reconcile (laughs) inside of yourself right yeah and And getting curious yoga is an amazing tool totally you know to kind of dig deep yeah. and and you know, yeah. find that out. I get a lot of work yes and it will take time but yoga is yeah. a great tool for that oh my god yeah. huge and like yeah the yoga studios and yogis are just the uh, values of yoga because it's an indigenous mm-hmm. practice from India yeah are similar to indigenous practices on this land yeah right so it's like there's a lot of value alignment a lot of like, yeah, just it and it and it's an avenue, a pathway, entry point, whatever you want to call yeah. it, to your own personal work. Yes. Right. And so I love that um, because a it gives us like the opportunity to slow down and connect with our mm-hmm. own body's wisdom and our the the wisdom of our ancestors that lives within yeah. ourselves that was proven by epigenetics that we talked yeah. about earlier. So yeah, I just really, yoga has been a huge part of my own healing journey yeah. um, and has allowed me the space and time to be curious. And mm-hmm. that's like, a that's one of the principles I think of reconciliation is curiosity and mm-hmm. openness and yeah. like slowing down and questioning your, our yeah. thoughts because we're all colonized, whether we're indigenous or Mm non-indigenous we're all part of a colonial structure and system and we're we're all have colonial thoughts yeah and so it's like yoga allows us to slow down and go do I really feel that way or is that just something that I've is in the environment and I've been told that Mm -hmm. like what do I actually feel yeah right which is a hard (laughs) question and I feel I just had a similar conversation um, on a podcast episode around periods Mm. where it was getting in touch with your cycle to kind of find that power again within you totally and just that you know making that decision like who am I and what is it that I really want and this sounds very similar it's you know coming back to the is this how I feel and that's hard hard it is and time you know not time consuming but it's it's lengthy work yeah it's lengthy work and it's can be quite terrifying yeah for, for people, sure. you know, yeah. because we've been so trained, as you yeah. said, we've been colonized to think a certain way, to do things a certain way, and to kind of change that mm-hmm. is scary mm-hmm. to a lot of for people. Sure. For sure, but it needs to happen, and the shift is happening. It I is, think. it yeah. is. Yeah, I just was up in Fort St. John this past weekend doing a workshop called Yin Yoga and Reconciliation, and so we had about a dozen people, and that's what I was saying. I was just like, the whole construct in which we're living in, Monday to Friday, nine to five, mm-hmm. we're told like how much to weigh, right? Yeah. What's appropriate to weigh, yeah. what our hair color should be, yeah. like what type of clothing to wear, like at certain situations, like how you should like, what fork you should use when you're eating. Like It's like all <laughs> these like, like rules and construct. Yeah. And yes, we need to have rules and structure and totally like get that, totally get I I have to work and like Monday to Friday, I have to, yeah. you know, I get all of that. And 
like, but it's also being able to have the awareness to step back from it and Mm. go, okay, this is like a system and structure that yes, I need to be a part of and, and contribute to, you know, um, and I can also have agency over my own Mm. thoughts, right. And how I show up and like, and be comfortable you know, not being a size two or like, you know what I mean? And, and, or like whatever it is, you know, and then just, then when we start to get curious about even like those, like really trivial, like it may seem trivial, like Mm -hmm. that we accept to be true, that we program ourselves to be, it's like, then that's the key, right? That starts to open up the door to like have agency and the courage and bravery to like, yeah, what else? What else may not be mine? Yeah. What else have I adopted that may not be mine? And it's super scary because it's like, you know, I have people who have like been close to me or around me or been part of my work and they're just like everything that I believed was a complete lie. Mm -hmm. And that's super scary for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't even know where to start with that. Yeah. Like, all I know is that everything that like I've believed and bought into is like not what I like is a complete lie. Yeah. So where do I go from here? Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's, you kind of feel lost. Yeah. And, and then it's stuck yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So then it's like, okay. Right. So you're like, you want to um, practice compassion mm-hmm. and understanding and being like, you know, yogis talk about being heart centered. Yeah. Right. And just like, like be like gentle with yourself and kind and like it's okay like it's okay right and you know it it's like baby steps to like change to make changes to to move away from all of that right Mm -hmm. and just like like not putting pressure on yourself to like you know and that's same for society yeah it's like you know it's like patience and understanding and compassion and like and knowing that we don't need to all figure it out in one day or one year it's gonna take time and being okay with that totally and loving and being compassionate Mm and and like yeah there's gonna be frustration and messiness and just like you know practicing being a witness in that right like yeah and what do you see is I mean, that in itself, you know, patience can be challenging, working on yourself can be challenging, but what do you think has been the biggest challenge so far when it comes to reconciliation? Is um, a couple of things. I think it's like um, othering. So we other, that's part of the human condition, Mm. right? And what I mean by othering is like, you know, that... um, buying into the concept that we're separate and that, that, you know, you're white and from the UK. And so, you know, you're different than me. You didn't, you don't have like, you know, you're, you're different. You're not indigenous. So you could never understand where Mm. I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's like, you know, the, the, (laughs) the white, the white othering is just like, Oh God, like, do we have to hear about this again? Mm. Like, you know, it's like, we, they just need, we need to get over it. We need to like, you know, the economy is so important and like, you know, all of these things. Right. So it's just like all this othering, right. That happens. And it really, I think perpetuates the separateness. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also the other thing is our deeply ingrained beliefs that, that sort of feed into that othering about each other. The deeply ingrained beliefs, the deeply ingrained assumptions, Mm -hmm. right? And 
Um, so that's a big challenge is like, we're assuming like, um, lots about each other. Yeah. <laughs> and we do that like even in our own personal relationships. Yeah. Without like, even having a totally. conversation with the person yeah. or, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, it's like when you tell someone like, I love you. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Right? Like, what does that mean to you? We don't ask that. We just go, oh, like it, he must mean like what I mean when I say yeah. I love you. Right? So it's like you know, being able to stop and go like, you know, what does that mean to you? Mm. Right? Because even though we're all speaking the same language, we have different meanings behind each of those words and what it actually means and looks like. So I know that can be a little bit abstract, but it's like, that was part of like, is part of my thesis is like looking at language and like how there's different definitions Mm. for things. Right. And I think that just being curious again right so the deeply ingrained beliefs the othering I also think that one of the biggest challenges is the the deeply ingrained systemic racism and how that's so subtle in in Canada Mm. I can't speak for other countries but from my experience so just like the dominant narrative that all Canadians, whether you're Indigenous or not, are fed about Indigenous people. Mm. So that yeah. perpetuates stereotypes, right? Yeah. So like, when do you see Indigenous people in the news? Well, we're protesting mm-hmm. or anti-development, right? Like we're like Indigenous women are missing and murdered yeah. and like broken and unfit mothers and on the downtown east side yeah. and we don't know how to parent and we don't like we're lazy and we're, you know, we, we we're you know, we, we have a high dropout rate. We must be stupid. Like all of these things that are like form how we see the world. Mm-hmm. And especially now in this society, we have so much information coming on at us all the time. Yeah. So it's part of human nature and part of the human condition just to like put things in their own boxes. Right. Okay. So I don't, I don't have the mental capacity to like, you know, <laughs> unpack that right now so I'm just gonna like stick that over here and like you know we just our brain just goes into these autopilot things about decisions a twitter like headline and you don't even click on it to actually read the article but you get all these comments on people who have just made assumptions based on that headline yes yeah yeah and who's writing the news Mm. and are they coming from an indigenous perspective do you have indigenous writers yeah because like you can interview indigenous people but then we're putting our own lens on those interviews right and we may not even know that and so I think that it's like really about like shifting the dominant narrative Mm. and that will take time yeah just like about some of those subtle messages that we get about indigenous people in this country right Mm. and and so shifting that dominant narrative of like um yeah all of those like things that I just talked about, all those stereotypes and how are we perpetuating that in the media? How are we perpetuating mm-hmm. that um, in, uh, you know, commercials and Netflix and yeah. internet? It's like, how like how many Indigenous people do you see in a positive light in the media, in commercials, in Netflix? Yeah. And like, unless there are Indigenous actors, but they're for Indigenous-specific roles. They're not just your next-door neighbor. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it's like that like separation starts to get ingrained in us yeah. right and inform how we see each other yes. right yeah the othering and yeah it's like more representation is needed and and it's interesting I have a, a similar conversation with my partner because he's in the film yes. world yeah about you know 
uh, when a movie comes out and it's a white actor who plays an indigenous actor, you know, part, yeah, yeah. Um, or a white actor that plays a Persian, my partner's Persian, a Persian part. And that's starting to change very slowly. Yeah. Thankfully it is. I would say it could probably change a little faster and should have changed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're just not seeing that mm -hmm. representation. And as you say, you wouldn't put on like a comedy show about, you know, people who live in a place and the neighbor is an indigenous person. That's I've never seen no. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So it's yeah. just like all of that informs how we see each other, our stereotypes, our assumptions, our feelings, our values, our thoughts, our principles, all of that is so subtle. Yeah. And and so I really feel like that's a big challenge for us is as like how do we start to unpack that and move through that and address systemic racism mm -hmm. and the dominant narrative, right? And it needs like it really like that it's like yeah, everybody working in their own field, in their own sector towards a common goal. Like, yeah. have we, do we know what we want reconciliation to look like mm. as a whole in Canada? Have we had that space and time to like talk about envision yeah. and like go across the country and go like, like, what's our vision for reconciliation? Everybody's like input is valid here. Yes. What type of world what type of country what type of nation what type of yeah communities collective community do we want to create together we need to know where we're going yeah and so that we can like start to figure out how we're actually going to get there yeah you know? and i mean that's a great point we do have the um the 94 calls yes. of action that came yeah. out of the truth um and reconciliation commission yes but they're just calls to action they're not really a vision and I mean you would probably need a vision for each of those call calls as well right mm -hmm. so that's like 94 little visions that need to kind of make up a greater mm -hmm. one do you I mean do you see that happening mm -hmm. first of all and then with that report and the calls to action do you feel like there was anything they fell short on mm -hmm. has it been beneficial do you think it was just mm -hmm. something the government put in place to make people happy there's been lots of different yeah, perspectives yeah. on it. So I always go back and it's something that like, you know, my colleague, my, my colleagues and the elders that I work with always remind me that the 94 calls to action were informed by the almost 7,000 residential school survivors mm, okay. that came out. And so that we need to like, I just remember like lots of my elders and, and colleagues reminding me like chastity, like we need to really pay respect mm -hmm. to the, to where those 94 calls to action came mm -hmm. from. And th they were informed by residential school survivors. So, um, and the truth and reconciliation commission was an independent commission from government. Mm -hmm. And so they, um, employed, you know, indigenous and non-indigenous lawyers, uh, and experts to, um, produce the truth and reconciliation report and the 94 calls to action. Mm -hmm. So they were, even though they were, they've now been adopted by the federal government and by this current provincial government, mm -hmm. um, and the current federal government adopted them. Uh, and so, um, even though they were adopted, they weren't government created. Okay. Yeah. So that's separate. really, yeah. That's great. So that's really good to know. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, the, like I said, 
previous about um, governments is that it takes a long time for them to like embrace, operationalize, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, what at to one piece of legislation, yeah. right? Yeah. So 94 calls, um, you know, is going to take some time and some real like effort into unpacking what does that, like, what are those, what does that actually mm-hmm. mean and how does that show up? Because there's an incredible diversity, like I talked yeah. about earlier across this country in regards to Indigenous people. And so I think it's like, there needs to be a long-term commitment mm-hmm. from government um, that is like legislated um, that holds all governments. So, you know, whether it's liberal, conservative, NDP, green, that's in power, mm-hmm. that it's like a long-term uh, commitment for all governments to say like, we're invested. Yeah. Right. And one model that I contemplated, you know, the, what might help was like, creating a ministry of reconciliation, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Having a minister, a federal minister, yeah. and then having that trickle down to all the provinces and territories and having like ministers of reconciliation mm-hmm. um, the, and that are responsible for looking at that and then um, working with the ministries. There are other ministry colleagues or minister colleagues to say like, you know, we're the hub, we're responsible for this. And so are you. Yeah. Right. How do we work together as ministers or ministries to like, you know, implement in a meaningful way these calls to action and really be committed to creating from on the government level um, a different world, a different way to be. Right. And so, you know, I mean, that's there's challenges within that model. Mm -hmm. But I just think, like, how do we really start to create the changes so that they're longer than four-year terms. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And for governments, that's hard because they're, like, wanting to get elected every four years. Yes. Right? The District of North Vancouver about a decade ago went into a 100-year visioning um, wow. opportunity. Yeah, lots of people don't know that. And I know that because I was working at BC Hydro and kind of, like, in and around that work in the sustainable community sector. But, like, that's something that would be cool. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be exciting to just say, like, okay, Canada, like, figure out a robust community engagement strategy. Yeah. And we go, like, what do we want Canada to look like in 100 years yeah, in regards to, vision. yeah, reconciliation, yeah. climate, like, action, mm-hmm. like, sustainability, economic development, yeah. like, moving away from being a resource extraction or, you know, resource-based um, country like, you know, all of yeah. that, right? Like, wouldn't that, it's, people would feel so empowered. I know. Oh, we know what we're do, where we're going. Yes. We've had these conversations. We're connected to it, right? Yeah. And that informs our politics. That informs yeah. our industry. That informs how we're moving forward. Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, I used to work in government and I'm not even sure there was like a five-year vision, but wouldn't that be phenomenal? And I mean, especially we're recording this on the day of the climate strike that's happening. So that's a lot of talk around that right now. So to have a hundred-year plan would be, you know, phenomenal. Um, I'm curious to know things around we're also kind of heading in at this time of the recording into the holiday season right I'm clinging on to summer as much as I can but (laughs) no luck and so we're moving kind of you know Thanksgiving um Christmas holidays and then we've got Canada Day here uh in Canada the states have their Independence Day 
those holidays that I guess, you know, the indigenous communities, they were forced upon mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. How do those communities kind of feel around those holidays now? Is that a, a time where there's maybe a lot more trauma comes up, a lot mm. more pain, or has it been embraced? Mm. Mm. Yeah, again, I think it would be community and individual specific. Mm. I do think it's a good opportunity, though, to talk about holidays and just like, um, yeah, the Western construct mm-hmm. in which we live in and what informs that, right? Yeah. Like what informs our Western construct and our holidays, which is largely, um, you know, Christian, Mm -hmm. uh, um, values. And like, I mean, in the academic world, they call it Euro Christian, Mm, right? So like European Christian values. Um, and, uh, and then also in service of like, like the Canada day and like Thanksgiving, like Mm -hmm. all of these, like, you know, constructs around this Mm -hmm. country and, and celebrating that which I love holidays, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm also curious about like, so what are we centering? What are we mm-hmm. gathering around? What are the values of that? Like how yeah. do people feel included in that? Who, yes. Especially in the di- amount of diversity of indigenous people, but also around our immigrant and refugee mm-hmm. communities, right? How do yeah. we, like, how do we, like, I'm, I'm, I love to celebrate and I love holidays as an individual. Yeah. So I'm like any opportunity, I'm like, I'm making a turkey. Yeah. I'm getting gifts. I'm like, that's just like my own personal thing, right? Like, I love it. So, but I think also just like from this lens of reconciliation and, and thinking about it, I think that, um, you know, to your question, just really being curious about like, what are we centering? What are the values? And then in, from an indigenous, generally from an indigenous point of view, like our pre-contact, you know, our people, um, generally speaking, would live seasonally, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was like, summer, we'd be harvesting yeah. food, we'd be hunting, we'd be gathering, like all of that. Then we come to fall, right? And yeah. then that would shift about what we centered and valued. So we were very much in tune with the seasons mm-hmm. of, um, of, of where we lived. And, and that would very much govern how we carried out our way of life yeah. in those seasons. And we would have celebrations to um, and, and ceremonies to mark those seasonal changes, um, and, and gather and have food and, and share story Mm -hmm. and be with our families and all of that. So I think that, um, there's similar values in those holidays that, uh, you know, underlyingly, that, you know, some communities can center and gather around that, mm-hmm. right? And others are like, I'm not celebrating Christmas, but I'm going to make a turkey and have my family yeah. over. And so it's just like, it's community and individual dependent. I think that, you know, some people will get triggered by that. Mm-hmm. Some won't. It's just like where they're at on that spectrum that we talked about yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah no, that's yeah. fair. Um, and also, you know, lately, maybe in the past five years I've definitely noticed every time I go to an event there's a land acknowledgement so it's great that now pretty much you know everywhere you go you see that Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. Um, and at first I didn't fully understand the first time I'd heard it what it meant and it took a little bit of research and educating myself and I was curious to know is that something that indigenous communities are you know glad we are Mm -hmm. doing or is it something that they're like you know 
why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, what was the feeling around mm-hmm. those land acknowledgements? And how did they start? Yeah, yeah. So generally speaking, I think Indigenous people um, are happy that yeah. this is happening, um, are, feel respected. for. So where it came from is that just like since contact and since the creation of Canada, a lot of Indigenous people's histories and land have been invisible Mm -hmm. to the mainstream right and have been covered up so it's like you know we both live in vancouver well that this is a city that we call vancouver but it's actually musqueam squamish and tsleil-waututh territory that had other names other rich histories other stories that were connected to the land other villages Mm -hmm. that were connected here that you know the everyday vancouverite has no idea like we we just are like oh it's vancouver it's like you know we have all these buildings and a beach and like yeah cool right and i'm gonna go live my life and you know so uh, so i think where that came from was an effort to say like we were here for thousands of years Mm -hmm. right we there's a there's a rich history that goes beyond captain vancouver being here yeah yeah (laughs) right and 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 so i think that it's like a few things like a like you know um there's a rich history here and we're not privy to it we're not learning it we're not we're not seeing it we're not exposed to it there's no awareness of that Mm -hmm. right and so I think one of the efforts is like you know yes there was a rich history here and we need to acknowledge that we need to acknowledge that what does that mean for individuals well it depends on where you're at and your awareness to that right Mm -hmm. I think the other thing where the land acknowledgement comes from is that um, depending on where you are in Canada geographically, um, that a lot of the traditional territories have not been um, given over to Canada, mm. have not, the treaties aren't signed, largely in British Columbia with the 203 uh, communities here in BC, which is a third of the Indigenous mm-hmm. communities in Canada. There's, out of those 203, there's maybe 15 treaties that have okay. been signed here. And so um, from a political perspective, it's saying like, you know, we've not come to an agreement of you being mm. here on this land. Mm-hmm. We've not settled the, our, the land question. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's an acknowledgement that like, and so when you hear words like the unceded traditional mm-hmm. territory, that means that it hasn't been ceded. Mm-hmm. It hasn't, there's been no agreement here Right. Um, and so you'll also hear like unsurrendered mm, traditional okay. territory, unceded, unsurrendered traditional territory. So it's just saying like, hey, we've not given you these lands. Yeah. Right. So it's it's it can it can be a political statement. Um, so as in anything in life, it's multi-layered, yeah. Right. And so how they become common practice, I think, you know, I see it more here in Vancouver and, and where there's more progressive um, leadership and stuff mm-hmm. uh, and institutions is that there's just like, yeah, we need to acknowledge the land that we're on and the rich history that's here and the ancestors that took care and, and were stewards of this land for thousands of years prior to us yeah. being here. 
So it, it, you know, it's a multi-layered statement. I think for me, when I give the land acknowledgement, I like to actually say that for me, it goes beyond just like checking a box and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think I shared that at the talk that you Mm -hmm. were at, it goes beyond checking a box for me that like, yes, I need to acknowledge the territory that I'm on. Absolutely. Um, And for me, it reminds me that um, there's, that I am interconnected to nature yeah. Right. And that's one very different um, worldview and and value system is from generally speaking, indigenous people see themselves as extensions of nature yeah. and interconnected to nature. And so when we're acknowledging the land, we're acknowledging that interconnection. Right. And but and, and in the Western world, we see ourselves as separate from mm-hmm. and just that one separate worldview what does that allow us to do to the land yeah right and in service a reason of for striking yeah today at the climate strike, yeah right yeah it's like yeah. what would be different in our society if we believed and centered around and valued and was in alignment with um the belief that we were in we are extensions of nature that we're interconnected yeah. what would our world look like i, know. I always think that yeah. right i'm like wow we'd be totally living like in a just completely different way and yeah. you know so yeah i think that that the land acknowledgement for me that's what it means it reminds me that i'm i'm of that interconnection and and so i like to share that when i give the land mm-hmm. acknowledgement like it goes beyond politics and yeah. and definitely want to follow the protocol of the lands um and be respectful to the first peoples so yes that's part of it and for me it goes deeper than that so that connection mm-hmm. oh that's amazing mm-hmm. that's beautiful this has been amazing I, I really want to keep going but <laughs> I know that I don't want to take up too much of your time just one last last question um what can people like me, people like settlers do to kind of help, you know, the reconciliation process, be part of it, be involved? Mm-hmm. We've got the land acknowledgements, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Um, conversations like this. What else can we do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love when I get asked this question because... Um, Again, I, I talked earlier about like how, you know, the word reconciliation has become politicized mm-hmm. and so it feels like external to yeah. us um, and that's somebody else's responsibility. But I think um, f- first and foremost is that um, like my advice and my opinion is that we need to understand um, the history of the land that we live on and the impacts of the creation of of the country that we now live in, which is Canada, mm-hmm. on the land and on the First Peoples. Um, and that's a radical act of reconciliation that every individual Canadian can take is to like educate themselves mm-hmm. on um, the history of, of the creation of Canada as it relates to Indigenous peoples. Um, and understanding um, that there's lots of information on the internet. I have an online course that I'm launching this mm-hmm. fall called Canadian History Through the Lens of Indigenous Women. Amazing. It's four modules. It has videos of Indigenous women, content, um, uh, further reading lists, mm-hmm. like all of this stuff to just like at your own time and at your own self-direction and at your own pace start to understand 
you know, what, what the history of Canada has been and the yeah. impacts of Indigenous people through Indigenous women voices um, and knowledge and wisdom. So it's like really about like that sort of radical act, these small radical acts of reconciliation. So educating yourself, mm-hmm. right? And then sharing that knowledge and being an ally by like, if you hear a stereotype mm-hmm. or you see a racist situation or like, you know, all of that being able to say, actually, you know, um, I've done some educate, I've educated myself and this is like what I've learned. And so I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. The, the, and so just really being like challenging others um, in your life to think critically about their own stereotypes, mm-hmm. their own um their own assumptions like those are hugely radical acts of reconciliation the other thing is about like thinking about in your own like family or in your own workplace is how how can we create space for the indigenous worldview mm. how can we create space for in, like meaningful inclusion of indigenous peoples yeah. right and what does that look like and um and yeah so just starting to think about like do we have are we are do we have the indigenous worldview included in what we're doing mm-hmm. right and if we don't how do we go about doing that yeah. right so just like stopping and 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 slowing down and thinking about that and then i also say it's like about your own individual work too mm-hmm. right so like everyday canadians can stop and and you know, take some time to be still in nature, on a yoga mat, at the beach, and just like, you know, really dig deep into like, what is it that, like, what does reconciliation mean to you? Yeah. Right? What do you, I need to reconcile within myself so that I can offer reconciliation to the world? Yeah. Right? What are areas in my life that I need to like really get curious about? And like, you know, maybe there's a childhood thing, maybe there's mm-hmm. a, a recent thing, a relationship breakup, something tragic that happened to you. Like, that's my invitation. And in part of the reconciliation movement is like looking at like, mm-hmm. those are where the answers are going to lie for you. If you know how to reconcile internally and in your own relationships, uh, um, learning from those and being conscious about what those those actions key principles values ways of being in the world in your own reconciliation journey Mm -hmm. and then being able to apply that externally is really important so those are some key aspects a book club people love to read Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's so many amazing indigenous authors out there so starting a book club um you know and having like and just hosting it like once a month or whatever works and like get people who are like let's have a book club that has indigenous authors right i'm actually going to look up and see if there's any podcasts (laughs) out there too there must be oh totally right must be so if i find any i'll link them totally yeah so just like those types of things hosting a dinner party with the theme of reconciliation yeah right like let's like what does it mean to you and maybe people are like i have no idea da, da, da. great so you're yeah. like you know starting let's talk about totally. it totally mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be these huge grandiose like yeah. you know like <laughs> i think that's what intimidates people too is these huge grandiose gestures yeah. or actions like i'm gonna make a statement in the world it's like how about we make a statement internally yeah and like at home and yeah. in our own lives like start where totally. you are yeah 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 just 
being gentle and loving and compassionate and kind with yourself Mm -hmm. on that journey, right? So I think that those are some like areas. And if you're passionate, if you play soccer, if you're a Mm -hmm. runner, if you're like whatever, right? Like um, it's like about, yeah, uh, bringing that to indigenous communities, right? And so there's lots of ways, but, and I could talk for a long time. Yeah. So I'll leave it there because I think that's a lot of information. (laughs) Definitely. And I will post links to your website, social media, because I know you're always out in the community. You're always doing talks, workshops, conferences. So for those of you who are local, then you might, you know, be able to get out and see Chastity talk somewhere. Um, And for those of you who are not local, there's there's stuff online. So I'll make sure to share that. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode now make sure to head over to chastity's website chastitydavis.com to find out more about the work that she does you can also connect with her over on twitter at cdavisconsult and instagram at chastity underscore davis This episode was recorded and produced on the unceded shared traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. As always, I'd love to know what you thought of our conversation. Head over to the comments section on our website, uncomfortable.blog, or on any of our social media channels. We are on Facebook and Instagram at uncomfortable.blog and Twitter at uncomfy underscore podcast. You can support our podcast by signing up to be a patron and pledging a small, you know, two to five dollars per month so that we can keep on running. Visit uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate for more information. Thanks again for listening. Now get out there and get uncomfortable.